Well, welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. Part of our journey, and really you could actually summarize one of the effects of the kingdom of God is that we leave the orbit of our own desires, our own preferences, and we begin to orient more and more around what He wants, what He thinks. And that begins with worship. It begins with worship. And one of the ways that we set the tone of our lives is by what we do on a morning like this when we come in. Because you can be distracted, you can be thinking about any number of things because every one of us has a, you know, a hundred things that we could focus on, things that happen later today, problems in our lives. But what we do is we honor God when we say, God, I want to begin today, I want to set my heart by saying, I want to acknowledge your supremacy and your importance by leaving my stuff and by meeting your need and your, your worth with worship. I want to worship you. I want to give you the glory Do your name this morning. And when we do that, when we make that choice, we're essentially setting a path for the rest of our lives, whether we realize it or not. We're setting a plumb line. This is how I want my life to be oriented. The kingdom of God, God first. And as, as God begins to be established in my life, then all the things that pertain to his blessing, his love, his gentleness, his forgiveness, his presence, his power will begin to filter into the rest of my life. That's one of the reasons why we worship. That's one of the reasons why worship and God is looking for worshipers, why worship is so critical to us. So welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. We are, among other things, a worshiping church. It's not the only thing we do. It is one of the greatest barometers of the direction of our life. We will worship Him. So, Father, as we begin this morning, I want to just declare, Lord, let your peace settle on this building. Father, we say in the name of Jesus that you are the Prince of Peace. Just release your heart right now. Father, we worship you. We worship you. You know, there's, uh, there's something important about our declaration, probably more than we, th- we think or know. It says in James, it says that the tongue is like a rudder of a ship. It says the ship is huge and, and, and very large, and the, and, the, and the rudder is a very small thing, and the tongue is a very small part of your entire being. But he, he says, but your tongue determines your direction. What you say determines the direction you're going to go. And so when we're saying, you know, my, my tongue declares, my, my tongue says, it's not just for them to say it. It's for us to say it because we are directing aspects of our heart that we don't even know, that we can't rule over. And this is what he talks about. So the heart and the tongue are unruly. And so part of our journey is to learn to rule over them. And one of the places where that's so important to start, important to start is worship. I wonder if we could do that right now. I wonder if we could, without emotion, without being stirred up, I wonder if we could worship Him with all of our strength right now, even without the benefit of of words or a song. I wonder if we could tell Him that He is worthy. And in just a second, I have Paul Captain come up. So get ready, Paul. God, we want to declare that You are worthy. We want to declare that we will worship you. My heart will exalt you today. I will sing and I will dance and I will lift my hands and I will clap my hands and we will humble ourselves before God Almighty today. We will worship you today. We will worship you today. Come on up, Paul. This weekend, I was having a conversation with Paul, and he, he began to share with me a part of his journey around worship, and I just, I just thought that where he is now, as opposed to where he was five years ago, is, is a startling thing, and his, his daughter is smiling and nodding enthusiastically, as is his wife. So, But, you know, his journey is not the same as my journey, and maybe it's not entirely the same as yours, but I think some of us could maybe identify 
with some of this testimony here. So, Paul, tell us. I grew up in a very um, traditional type church. I've been in church my whole life. Went to church with Gordon Jim's uncle in Ottawa. Uh, I always felt worship was kind of the bookends to the meet. It was something that some people could enter into, much like Esther or Jenna enters into dance. And I didn't like it when I came here. My wife dragged me for a year. But now um, I've been introduced to the Holy Spirit here. I don't know just about the Holy Spirit. I've met the Holy Spirit. And when we are worshiping like this and we commune with the Holy Spirit, that is everything. That's why we're here. That's not, it doesn't diminish the message, but it is everything of why we're here. And I mean, I thank all of you, obviously, but if you're in that same spot where I was, where it's a struggle and you're going, man, I don't know why they say the same thing eight billion times. It's not about that. You have to activate your spirit and commune with the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. So I don't want to take any more time. God, yeah, amen. And you know, a part of this journey is he just kept coming back. And while he would have liked to have probably had an extra coffee and sat in his truck and, you know, until 1045... You know, the pressure was on because of family to come here and be in here. And something changed. Something changed. God is looking for those who worship in spirit and in truth. When you become born again, you are one spirit with God. That connection is everything. We are, we are here because we have a connection with the Holy Spirit, with God himself. And God has a relationship with that can touch our faces, touch our lives, touch everything about us. And this is the place where it's most deeply realized is in worship. So I pray that none of us would miss the significance, the deepening significance of these encounters with God Almighty, because this is the place where we are changed. So let's continue to worship Him. Let's give Him everything that He deserves this morning. You know, what God is trying to do is He's trying to get a people to believe. And you know, there I mean, music can be entertaining. It can be wonderful. It can be powerful. And we can be moved by music. We can be moved by the singing of others and And that's great. And our willingness to respond to that is certainly a part of the journey. But at the end of the day, the Lord is asking, what do you believe? Do you really believe? Why do you show up? Why do you come? What is the catalyst behind your participation in this thing called Christianity? And if you think, well, that doesn't sound like the Jesus I know, then you haven't really read the Bible. Because when he had lots of people following him, and there were signs and wonders and miracles, he brings them into a place where he says says to them, you know what, some of you don't believe. And in order to call, to create a divide between those that believe and those that don't believe, he brings them into something that's more difficult for them. And this morning, I feel like, like God didn't meet us. God didn't show up first. He, hang, he hung back. And he asked the question, do you believe enough to be the first one to speak and to act? Or are you waiting for me? I mean, there's moments when the presence of God comes in a room and people say, wow, God is here. But the question is, can you say God is here when you don't feel a thing? Can you worship God with all your strength? Can you lay out the emotions of your heart? Can you, can you be passionately expressing desire for Him when you feel nothing? Do you believe? And so God is moving us from no faith into some faith and from weak faith into stronger faith.
and from strong faith into overcoming faith. So you want to say, God, we, we resign ourselves today to say you are God and I am not. That you know what you want from us, Lord, and, and we will obey. And that's almost a nasty word in our culture. We will obey. Can we say that? We will obey. Father, your commands, because you are love and because you are life, in Jesus' name we say, Amen. You say, Amen. amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, so great to uh, be back in Spruce Grove. Last, last week I was in Belfast, Ireland, and next Sunday I'll be actually on my way back from Singapore, so I'll miss next Sunday, but I'm here for the rest of the year virtually. Amen. Thank you, God, for the men and women who gave themselves for the freedoms that we live in right now. God, may, um, may you raise up another generation so given to freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. But the whole idea of, of laboring when you don't see fruit, how do you do that? Like, how do you, how do you year after year, week after week, day after day, continue to do something? You can't do that if you're only looking on the plane uh, of the natural, right? You, you just can't do that. You, you have to believe on some level that the investments that you are making are going to pay a dividend. And the truth, truth is that there's a natural version of that and a spiritual version. And the natural version is that uh, the reality is, is you have a capacity to, to um, do things that are, are, have a gratification or a return that's delayed. And the more vision you have, the more you can delay gratification. Do you, do you understand? And so <coughs> some of us are, are geared towards, no, I, I must have the results right now. And, of course, in the natural, that's not a big deal, okay? We're made differently. But when it comes to faith issues, the ability to delay results, to have delayed results, will determine what God can use you in. And so if, you, if you're going to be a Hudson Taylor, Hudson Taylor was a man who, you know, sowed seed in China. If you're going to be, um, I can't remember the the, uh, the missionary who was in South Africa, but uh, I mean, he lived and died and hardly saw any fruit. And there are many such people who spent their whole lives and never really saw any effect other than a handful of uh, converts. In fact, the pastor uh, in Havana that, that I knew, they're, they're in something more of a revival now, but he said, he said uh, my father-in-law pastored 12 people for 25 years. And uh, when one died, he pastored 11. Literally, no converts in that environment. Um, how do you do that? Well, God has given us an ability to determine value on a whole other level than what we see. And I love giving this example of you. If you've been around here for anything, length of time, you've heard this before. But it's all about being spirit-led. Spirit-led. If, see, if you're spirit-led, then you know certain truths. And one of them is this, is that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. Another one is, God said, my word will not return void. It will accomplish that for which I sent it. Right? So, in other words, in other words, it doesn't matter if I don't see a return today, next week, next month, next year. It cannot return void. Now, if you put those things together, you realize that if I do something led by the Spirit of God that's born of God, it will overcome the world. If I do something in response and obedience to a promise that I know is from God, it cannot return void. And so, uh, I, I, it doesn't matter whether the delay is a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years. So, 
We have to be spirit-led. We have to know the difference between something that comes from good intentions, our emotions, and something that's born of God. And so our whole training is about, do you know the difference? Do you know? And worship is one of the places where that becomes established in your life. Jesus, when he's walking through the crowd, uh, he stops, right? And because somebody touches him, and when they touched him, he felt power go out. So what's his conclusion? Power doesn't go out without reason, without purpose. Power doesn't go out without doing something. So he stops everybody and says, who touched me? And, of course, he finds out that the woman with the issue of blood gets a miracle, gets a healing. Well, how did he know that something significant happened? Because he felt something go out from him. He felt the word of God go out. It doesn't return void. Something significant happened. So that's what enables you to do things without visible return. That's what enables you to go in a prayer meeting and pray and, uh, and have that moment where you feel power going out. And you know, it doesn't matter that I don't know what happened. It doesn't matter that I wasn't there, you know, in Africa where we were praying for or in the prison. You know, we know something happened. And so it enables us to work remotely, both remotely in time and remotely in space. Isn't that a great thing? I think, you know, we should maybe uh, lean into this thing a little more. God, make us a spirit-led people. Make us a people who know what it feels like to have the power of God released. God, who don't walk by sight, but who walk by faith. Lord, make it so in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good, Good to be here. I decided to wear a suit today, you know. You know what? I like wearing suits. And I know in these days somebody says, oh, you're, you're so religious. Actually, 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 religion is about uh, superficial things. And if you feel irreligious because you wear jeans, then you're the religious one. So there you go. How the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah, years ago, I... Uh, I, uh, I was talking to friends of mine who had, who who are part of the vineyard, and and um, and you know they were they were, you know there was this tone that you know, when is God going to set you free from your suit and tie or from this and that and the other thing? And I I said to them, well you know what I was never so judged in a Pentecostal church for wearing jeans as I was judged in a vineyard church for wearing a suit. So, you know, uh, what 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 are we valuing here? What is it we're really after? It's not about what we wear. Okay, that doesn't make us more godly one way or another. But uh, I just happen to like to dress up, you know. And long shirt, long t-shirts don't really look good on me. Yeah, you have a long torso, that's right. All right, anyway. (laughs) I digress. (laughs) That's all right. It's family. It's family. So good to be here and... uh, I'm going to share a word today that really is a prophetic word for, for next year, 2020. And uh, it, it just sort of was cemented this last week when I was, in, I was meeting with some of the intercessors in, in uh, Northern Ireland. And uh, we, were, we were talking together, and, and they, kept, they said, you know, the phrase that keeps coming up over and over again is, it's not business as usual. It's not business as usual. And, and so they're feeling like, and we were, of course, moving towards a set of important meetings in Athlone and the geographic, geographic center of Ireland. But, uh, you know, they were, they were saying, this, this thing coming up and the future coming up, it's not business as usual. I said, well, well, that's interesting. And I opened my iPad to my iNotes and I showed them the title of this article I started writing about three weeks ago. And, it's, and the title is 2020, Not Business as Usual. And so, uh, what, what does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for where we are? You know, the Bible talks about the men of Issachar and how God had give them, given them an understanding of the times. And I think if we need anything right now, we need an understanding of the times. We need an understanding of the season that we are in. And I mean, we could talk for, you know, 
eons about the nature of seasons. You know, you have growth seasons, you have spiritual growth seasons, you have, of course, the natural things. And I mean, all of us have experienced seasons of drought and seasons of blessing and seasons to, to have a lot. You know, Paul talked about being exalted and being abased and, and you know, that, that these different, it didn't matter. He said, these are different seasons. And when you think of the spiritual nature of God planting something inside of you and it growing, and then it being pruned. We hate the pruning part, right? You know, but God's pruning is as important as the growth in your life. And so, but each season sometimes can require a different posture. So I want to talk a little bit about, about the seasons and particularly the challenges when seasons are shifting. And um, so let me, let me try and lay this out for you a little bit. Now, I, I do have some scripture but I'm going to turn to it later. I've got, in fact, I've got more scripture than you need. But, and I may turn to some, but seeing as you guys know the Bible so thoroughly, you're going to know, you're going to know when I reference a story or a personality that you're going to know the whole background of it, right? That's our goal eventually. But um, this morning when, when we were worshiping, and I want you to lean in with God. Father, we just, uh, we, we don't want opinions this morning. We want you to speak to us by your spirit. And so, Father, we lean into your voice and we say, God, speak to us today. Plant seeds of wisdom in our hearts that guide us and lead us in this life in Jesus' name name. Well, some of the seasons we take place, you know, it's kind of like sometimes it's the weather. You know, you can have, you can have spring that is, lasts for three months, let's say, but then in the middle of the summer, you can have colder and warmer days. So, you, you know, within a season, you can have, still have fluctuations of temperature. And, uh, and so, there are some fluctuations in our life that are temporary and some that are part of larger seasons. Now, this morning when we began to worship, uh, and it was, it was hard. I don't know about you, but I, I felt it was hard. And if it wasn't hard, well, bless you. <laughs> you. I'm glad you had a great easy time this morning. I had a hard time. I had a hard time connecting, a hard time pushing in. Hey, who, you know, anybody else feel that at all? I, I'm pretty sure that some of the worship team did. But... Uh, and, and I always, I'm always, you know, asking, okay, why is this? Because these things don't happen by the whim of forces that are disconnected from us. Everything happens for a reason. When, when there's always cause and effect, even if you don't see the cause, there is, there is, there's reasons for it. Now, I think we touched on one of them this morning, that, that God is training us to worship Him without the benefit of an experience, without the benefit of music moving us or a presence or an atmosphere moving us. Can you just, you know, do it because it's important to do? Right? Kind of in life that's important, you know, because you 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 know, when you first go to your first day on your new job, well it's exciting and you're 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 going just because it's exciting and it's different. But on day eight hundred and ninety six you know, you got to find some other motivator because it's probably not as exciting as it was on day one. And similarly, in your spiritual life, the catalysts that move you to do what you're called to do as a, as a Christian, they shift and they change. And, and God, is His whole desire is to orient you more and more away from reasons that are self-fulfilling and reasons that are more altruistic and, and related to, to him and what he wants. Is that fair enough? Now, seasons are changing. When, when Jesus was in Jerusalem and he was uh, coming with his message, and of course we know that the nation of Israel rejected Jesus. The religious leaders, they rejected Jesus. And they had rejected those that God had sent to them before. And in, at one point Jesus says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that, that kills the prophets and, and stones those that are sent, sent to them. In other words, listen, you guys have a, a track record of doing this kind of thing. 
But he says, but he says, now, now you've done this again, but today the price for doing that is going to be very different than the price that you paid before. There's always going to be a price. But he said, now, today, because you didn't understand the day of your visitation, not one stone will be left upon another. In other words, this is not business as usual. You've, you've, you've created a track record of doing these things in your life. And this applies to us, you know. God is trying to say, it's not business as usual. So be careful of the track record that you've set for your life. And be careful that you don't do tomorrow what you've always done. Because we're about to enter into a different season where the repercussions of doing what we've always done might be much, much higher on this occasion. And that's what changing seasons are really about. Not business as usual. Don't put this in the category of I can do what I want with my own life. Because there comes moments where God says, no, this night your soul will be required of you. This night, this is, this is a special, I mean, this is unique. You can't just do what you did in the past. And so throughout Scripture, there's the, a number of different incidences where seasons were changing. And some people understood. Some people had that heart of Issachar. There were men who, of understanding, and they understood the times. And I, if you're doing anything right now in your heart, I want you to begin to cry out. I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to fear that, oh, God, I, now what do I do? I, I can't do anything now because I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want you to be paralyzed with paranoia. Rather, I want you to begin to cry out to God for wisdom. Because, uh, you know, James begins with this whole idea of crying out for wisdom. He said, listen, God has loads of wisdom, and he's willing to give wisdom to those who are crying out for it. So begin to ask God for wisdom today. So can we begin to do that? God, we don't want to be caught unawares. We don't want to be caught doing what we, what we always do. We don't want to be caught in the patterns of even maybe bad patterns we establish in our own lives. God, we ask for the grace to change and shift with the times and seasons today. In Jesus' name, God, we don't want to view every day and every moment as business as usual. God, help us in Jesus' name. So there's a number of different other seasons, and I'm going to start with some Old Testament ones. But if you turn to uh, 1 Kings 18.26, now some of these I'm going to look at, you might think, oh, I never saw that as as one of those dealios. But um, you know, you'd be surprised how many times this had happened. So 1 Kings 18. I hear the ruffling of electronic pages. So the scenario here is in the days of Elijah. Now, there was a, there's a couple scenarios in Elijah's day. Remember Gehazi? Gehazi was Elisha's assistant, washed the hands of Elijah. And, uh, you know, when... Uh, when, is it Naaman, the Assyrian king that came and had leprosy and was healed? And he offered uh, Elijah a bunch of things, and Elijah said no. And then Gehazi runs after him and, you know, says, Oh, yeah, my master, you know, he does want a few of those rewards that you have, a little bit of silver, a, little, you know, a few garments. And, uh, and, and, of course, Gehazi comes back, and, you know, I, I'm thinking, Okay, who do you work for here? Like, do you have any idea? You, you, you're walking with a prophet who literally hears what's happening in the king's chamber of the enemies of Israel. How is it you thought you could sneak around and lie to the Holy Spirit and go grab these things and him not know? I mean, you know, give your head a shake, man. But anyway, see, he thought it was, he, he was getting away with things already. At least he wasn't being confronted. He was actually lying and cheating and stealing and doing things, but, you know, his day of reckoning hadn't come. So he thought, oh, this is just another day. I can get away with it. But when he comes back, Elijah says to him, is this the time for this? Is this the time for this kind of... What is the season that we are in? Father... Bring an alignment to our lives. So we have that little microcosm of this moment for Gehazi, and that's great. But there's a bigger one for Elisha, and, and I'll start reading it. The scenario is the confrontation 
on, on, on uh, Mount Carmel. Now, you guys know, I don't want to read the whole passage because there's loads of scripture here, but, but we know the scenario that, that there's a confrontation with the prophets of Baal. And the season, it's a season of darkness. It's a season where, where Ahab and Jezebel are ruling in Israel, where the prophets are, are hiding. I mean, they're existing. They are, they are uh, surviving by remaining hidden and not showing who they were. And there's a time when we need to do that. There's a time when you need to keep your head down. You know, I mean, in places like China right now, you know, they might not be evangelizing in Tiananmen Square, right? Because the price of doing so will be put in jail. And it doesn't mean they don't have a Christian life. But the disciples, the same, same thing, you know, when, when, they were, uh, they, when they were being chased and put in prison, you know, they, they may be a little more covert about their witness. So here in this time... There's tremendous governmental oppression, spiritual oppression against the believers. And, um, and so we have this pinnacle moment where all of a sudden there's a confrontation. The prophets of Baal come. And we know what happens. The prophets of Baal start crying out. But this is a breakthrough moment. Elijah's there, and he's, he's, uh, he, he's, uh, he's doing this on behest of God, right? He is being obedient to what God told him to do. And this is a kingdom confrontation, and the beginning of a change of season. But here's the, th- here's the thing. Is, is there some things that can't be permitted in a holy moment that you can get away with in an unholy moment? There, there's some thoughts, there's some words, there's some activity you can get away with in one season. As soon as you do them in another season, that it, it's just not going to work. And Elijah, even though he was the prophet, he misunderstood the season that he was in. And he felt justified in doing something here, I'm going to show you, that I believe cost him dearly. Now, what was it? It was pride and arrogance. This is a good time to say, whoa. (laughs) So anyway, they... Uh, in verse 25, it says, Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. And they took the bowl which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. And there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leapt about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God, either is meditating or he is busy or he's on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. And of course, they cried all the louder and they cut themselves with knives. And and in that moment, everything goes on. Elijah does his thing. And of course, God answers with fire. And it's it's a great, powerful, victorious moment. But I want to submit to you something that 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 you know if we're going to be if we're going to really vanquish and win we can't be smug we cannot be smug we cannot be arrogant and a mocking spirit is an arrogant spirit even when it comes with uh, when we are in this case mocking the enemies of god there's something about pride that makes us vulnerable to the enemy all the time Pride will always make you vulnerable to the enemy. And we, what happens after this is they have this great victory, right? I mean, Elijah's got to be just beaming. Wow, hallelujah. And Jezebel sends a messenger with a simple little message. I'm going to kill you. And it sends Elijah into a tailspin. I mean, he goes into a dire tailspin. On the word of a, I mean, he just defeated all the nation's prophets of Baal. I mean, they just slaughtered them. I mean, the, we're turning around, we're turning into revival. How, how can I be so immune to the kingdom of darkness, to the powers of darkness in one moment, and so vulnerable the next moment? Was Jezebel really that powerful? Is the enemy really uh, that powerful that we are, we are like, uh, you know, pawns tossed in the winds and, you know, bobbing in the seas? I don't think so. The question is, what is it that made Elijah vulnerable? Everything, I mean, when I look at this, there's no biblical record that says, oh, he mocked here and he mocked there and he mocked there. But I just 
you know, I just know, because I know human nature, that you usually do not at pinnacle moments of, of your life do things for the first time. <laughs> usually what you do in the pinnacle moments of your life are ref- a reflection of what you've done at other moments. And that's just the reality for humankind. So in this moment, this power encounter, we have to realize there are mo- when we're talking about power encounters, we're talking about the concentration of spiritual forces beyond our imagination. When God has decided that this is a moment for the kingdom of light to confront the kingdom of darkness, I have several cautions for you. One of them is walk carefully. Walk in humility because God resists the proud. And though it's not God's desire to make, you know, Elijah vulnerable, there are just things that make you vulnerable. And one of them is pride, arrogance, smugness. A mocking spirit will make us vulnerable to the kingdom of darkness. Why why is this important? Because I believe we're coming to moments of tremendous kingdom clash. Tremendous moments where God may give us authority, where God may show himself strong on our behalf. And I am looking forward to those moments. I'm anticipating those moments, but I don't want unnecessary setbacks to come in those moments. And the truth be told, this church has enjoyed tremendous heights, We've enjoyed tremendous moments when, when the presence of God was, was growing in its thickness, in its heaviness in our midst. And, and people began to talk about what God was doing at Spruce Grove Community Church. And, and you know, uh, that's a great thing. And I, I love that. And I mean, I, when God can begin to, you know, do things and affect things, that's what other people are talking about it. That's wonderful. But pride, smugness, superiority is what makes us vulnerable to a principality that is always trying to destroy us. And you think, well, that's all right. God will protect us. But what about the equation that God set out? He says, I resist the proud. You know, well, couldn't, couldn't he overlook it for the time being? He overlooked it for the time being with Elijah during the moment of encounter. But it was not overlooked forever. And, 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 and uh, Elijah's smugness did not compromise the victory itself, but immediately after that, there was still a price to be paid. And so, well, what are we saying? We need to walk cautiously. We need to watch for the things that make us feel superior to others. We need to watch and guard our hearts from becoming lifted up. And if you don't know what it feels like when your heart has become lifted up, I encourage you, ask God to show you. Because there's, uh, there's actually very clear evidence when it's happening in your life. Well, is there, a, is there another moment? Turn to Second Samuel 6. I, I, I thought of so many in the last few days that, that uh, and yes, I've been thinking about this for more than one day. There were so many moments that I just thought, man, I don't know if I could bring all of these in, but uh, let's, let's do this, this one anyway. So this one here was about Michal. You remember Michal? Anybody know who Michal is? She was David's first wife. Now, when Saul gave her to David as a wife, he actually prophesied that she would be a snare to him. You know, was, you know he said that, that she would be a problem. You know, he probably knew his daughter. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. I'm glad you want to marry her. Please take her off my hands. But anyway, Michal, she grew up in the household of Saul. Saul was the king of Israel. Saul was a man that had a moment with God where God changed his heart. And, uh, but he became king of Israel, and he ruled over Israel, I think, 40 years. That's a, that's a fairly long time. So in her lifetime, she lived in the, th- in, in, in the, in the, the royal house or you know, with royal trappings all around. She knew 
what it, what it meant to be governmental. She knew what it meant to have prophets and priests and, and, and this activity around. So, so when David becomes king and David, you know, starts to do these things, she's, she's looking at what he's doing through the eyes of what her father did. What she couldn't understand is that her father was a proud man. Her father was a man who was more aware of his own desires and his own opinions and his own, his own perspective than God's. David, on the other hand, was defined by God himself as a man after God's own heart. So we have this moment where he's bringing up the, uh, the ark to Israel, I mean to Jerusalem. You remember that? In verse, uh, verse 13 it says, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obedidim to the, house, uh, to the city of David with gladness. With gladness. Now that's a euphemism. He, he celebrated wildly with joy. Why did he do that? Because he, he understood uh, what, what needed to be done. He understood how to worship God. And his faith was not a fixture. It wasn't a cultural fixture of his life. He sought God and loved God and needed the word of God in a continuous way. So it says, it says he did these things with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And I don't know if he needed to do that every six paces, but he's like, okay, I'm going to do the. I'm going to honor the Lord from, from top to bottom here. And then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. All right, so he'd stripped himself of all his royal clothing. And he was basically down to his, uh, his bathing suit. You know, the equivalent of uh, uh, his skivvies, yeah. And, <laughs> and so David and all his ho- the house of Israel brought up, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting, shouting. And with the sound of a trumpet. Oh, I, I, we could camp there. I could talk a lot about worship right there. But I won't. I'm going to be disciplined. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And... Basically, what happened is later, she, he comes in and she goes after him. You know, how dare you? You made yourself look like a fool. And what, what happened here? Why? Well, we know that she was judged. The Lord said that she was to be barren from that time forward. She never bore children. And she was barren because she mocked his worship in the Lord. She despised his worship. And he said, I will be even more undignified than this. Let me, let me, let me throw this out. I, I just, there's all kinds of application here. Father, help us. Sometimes when others worship, it might look a little dignifi- undignified. Sometimes when other, others give themselves wholeheartedly to the Lord, it might be awkward and imperfect. Sometimes their lives may not match the quality of their worship. And sometimes we would like to mock people because we think, oh, that's hypocrisy. But sometimes people are pouring themselves in the Lord because their lives are not what they ought to be. Sometimes husbands and wives come in here and they are grieved by the fact that they are not what they ought to be, and they know that their only hope is to throw themselves fully on the Lord. And sometimes, you know, and this happens a lot in marriages, and I'm not meddling today. I won't name names. I, I, I don't even know any names to name. But, but, you know, it's very easy for us to say in our hearts, how dare you, you hypocrite, and to, to hold... Uh, in a, in a light manner, the sacrifices that others make. There's nothing harder, honestly, there's nothing harder than an imperfect husband or wife to come and to throw themselves fully into worshiping God when last night or yesterday they had a very imperfect moment where their flesh got the better of them. 
and, and you know, they, they open themselves up to the possible accusation of being a hypocrite in that moment. And the truth is, the last thing you really want to do is strip yourself down, metaphorically speaking, in honoring God with all of your heart. Because the first thing you have to break through in your own life is the feeling of being a hypocrite, of being feeling of being insincere, of the the feeling of being this does not speak of my whole entirety of my life. And yet I'm doing this because this is the place of change and transformation. I'm not doing this because I'm righteous. I'm doing this because I need to change. I'm not doing this because I haven't done anything wrong this week. I'm doing this particularly because I have done things wrong this week. And the last thing we need is our friends and our neighbors and our you know, people examining the exorbitancy of our, of our delivery of worship as compared to the rest of our life. Because I believe me, if you, if you really understand the moment that's before you, the, see, the moment of change, the moments of transformation that are available, you will pour yourself fully into those moments. Reputation aside. Thanks for that, Ben. I was thinking, what words should I use? You didn't hear him, but Ben whispered. So, Mikal, what was her mindset? Let me, let me tell you what it was. It was presumptuous. Her mindset was, well, I've been in church all my life. I know how this is done. I know what this should be looking like. I'm familiar with the dynamics and the trappings of royalty. You know, this upstart shepherd's boy hasn't got a clue. All right? Oh, yeah, look at him. He's an animal. He's been living in the fields with the sheep. You know, he doesn't know better. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to fix him. I'm going to align him by mocking him, by, you know, attacking him. Because, but she didn't know. She didn't know that, that seasons had changed, that between the dimensions of, uh, of, of her father's dispensation, governmental dispensation, and the rule of David that the rules were very, going to be very, very different. That now, here was, here, here was a, a man after God's own heart, and he was going to be walking by different rules. But you see, David, none of these rules were written down. I mean, there was no, there was no order for how do you move the ark from the, you know, the enemy's Philistines camp and bring it out back to its rightful place. Where is that in the Bible? And so there was no rules, and so he's going by his heart. She didn't recognize the change of season. And although it may have been a slight thing to once again say what I think, once again, I know better, and this is my experience, and, you know, and she presumptuously, arrogantly made an opinion about something that was holy to the Lord. There are just some moments where you need to hold your peace and you don't have the option of having an opinion. We don't really understand that sometimes. Now, I don't know how we're doing for time, but I feel like in some ways I'm running out of time. Yes, I am. A couple more occasions. There was a... I might get some of the details of this wrong, but when... Um, when one of the uh, sons of Isaac uh, was Isaac was looking for a wife, and he goes to Laban, the uncle. Is that the right one? Yeah, he goes to Laban, and the, and he says, you know, we're looking for, you know, we 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 want our my son to marry your uh, your daughter, whatever her name is, and Laban, to his credit, he says he said he asks him, what do you think of this? And Laban, to his credit, says says, uh, I cannot speak ill or good of it. It is the Lord. In other words, th- this, is, this is a divine thing. I'm not allowed to have an opinion. This is, this is a heavenly thing. And I, I'm thinking, Laban, I mean, you know, you, you have not distinguished yourself in this way in all the rest of Scripture, but this statement is, is pretty significant. 
I, I, I dare not add my opinion, God has spoken. See, here's the thing, and this, this applies to us as a church. Mikal thought that her, her opinion was deserved everywhere, that she'd grown up with the trappings of certain things, and she became too familiar. And I find in the church, especially as, after we've been around the church for a little while, we get too familiar. We think we know how things should run and what should, what should be happening. And I've seen this again and again, and I've seen people wounded by it, mortally wounded by it, spiritually wounded by it, soulishly wounded by it, where you have decided that the construct of the church is really a battle of opinions and different agendas, and that yours is therefore as valid as anybody else's. And you know what? When you, when you grow up in some churches, that might be actually the reality. You know, but that's not because that's the way it ought to be. That's because the church is weak and is become the fabric or the manifestation of the labors and thoughts and opinions of men. But I want you to know that it's not business as usual. That we are moving into a time of increased glory. We are moving into a time where we need to be careful to speak our opinions sparingly. And that when things are, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know what other churches are doing, but my heart for this church is we have never been this way before. And I'm not here to do what I think should be done or what I think is right or what we've done in the past. We are inquiring of the Lord to say, God, how is this supposed to work? And we're drawing on many different things. and I mean, we're, we're groping in the dark, so to speak, in some ways, because it's not like we don't have experience, but we don't know because we haven't been this way before. We're about to step into something we've never had. Now, the last reference, maybe the last, I want to share with you is from Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is the beginning of the church. And God's presence came down, and it was powerful. And, you know, we know the upper room in Acts 2, and the Spirit fell, and the church was added daily. I mean, 5,000 people gave their hearts to the Lord, et cetera, et cetera. And it was great things. But, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you got a happening environment. Things, things are moving and shaking. And, uh, and, and some people have joined themselves to this body of people called, you know, Christians, uh, who have entered into what they called the way, and they're looking at think, well, this is quite a community that's happening. There's quite a, you know, quite a, a, an engine of activity growing here. And they started watching people getting honored and people getting titles and people getting position and some not and, and some. And, and they decided, they decided that, oh, this is happening based on this criteria. And the criteria they were looking at was all natural. They thought, you know, man, Look at that guy. He gave some money, and now he's important. We should do that. Not because we want to give money, but because we want to be important. And so Ananias and Sapphira decided, you know what? We should make the best out of this. Let's give some, but let's pretend like it's more than it actually is. You know the story. Now, they weren't the first people to lie. They weren't the first people to embellish their contribution to amplify it, to make magnify it larger than it actually was. People do that all the time. People, they, but, you know, like, like, like this pattern, they'd probably done it before in their lives and gotten away with it. But they didn't realize the place they were in or the moment that they were in. And we know what happened. They dropped dead. They dropped dead. Not because they lied, because lying is not that great of a transgression. But lying in this moment is. We are moving into moments. That's an alarm. It's prophetic. Well done, Ben. The call on us is to walk in a way we've never walked before. To not assume people are gaining stature 
an authority within these things because they're brown nosing or they're they're playing their cards right or they're manipulating politically or they're pushing their way. The Bible says a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him by the Lord. It says in I think Psalm seventy six, promotion doesn't come from the, the south, the east, or the west, but God raises one up and puts another down. We're entering a season where we simply just want to find our role and our place within this great thing that God does. Because let me tell you, as the glory of God begins to increase on the church, the ability, the opportunity to distinguish yourself through unrighteous means might be huge and might be tremendous. And if you have a track record of gaining through those means in another season, you might not be met with the same success in this season to come. And the greatest damage I've ever seen to Christians is when they've decided that because there's human activity involved in the management of local churches, therefore human activity is responsible for making positions and roles and getting one ahead. I want to say to you that there's a back end to the kingdom of God that's invisible and that uh, everything that transpires in the front end is because there are things happening in the invisible back end and that those that God is raising up in these days and giving authority, it's because they've proven themselves to be like Laban and they've decided not to have an opinion. And they decided that this is not for me uh, to push my agenda. And they've guarded their hearts. And when the tendency to walk in presumption and pride and mock others, and they've held the reins of that, and they've died to that, and they've, they've humbled themselves, and they've given themselves to the Lord, saying, God, I want to know the world as you see it. We need to be that kind of people. In this season that's coming, it's not business as usual. And if uh, our attitudes and our approach to the church, to Christianity, has been sullied by human dimensions, natural dimensions, I encourage you to begin to seek the Lord today. Say, God, cleanse me. Free me from the patterns I've... You know, there might be patterns in your life that you have built... And I don't want you to be one of those ones that just automatically follows the same course of action that you did in the past once the seasons change. Can you say amen? I feel like we are at a, 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 a juncture. And to me, it, it feels as significant as the juncture of Joshua when he was coming up to the promised land and Moses was was gone, and he was to lead, and he's about to go into the promised land, and suddenly a man appears with a sword. And Joshua, being the, the general, he says to this man, he says, are you for us or against us? And it was the Lord. And he said, no. You cannot speak ill or good of this. I'm not for or against you. The question is, are you for or against me? I have come as the commander of those. He's basically saying, listen, Joshua, we need to get something straight as we're going in here. You are not the commander. You are, at best, second in charge of my army. This has always been the fact with the church, but it's not always been evident. I believe it's going to be more evident than ever in the next season. And so humility, an absence of pride, an absence of a confidence in your own opinion and the way you've done it before has got to go, has got to be laid down. And let me tell you, only the grace of God will give us an ability to do that in the season to come. And so starting today, I'm just going to pray. Father, we pray that your fear, the fear of you, the respect for the moment that we are in, that it might be more than we know, more than we understand, will keep us from venturing opinions and making decisions about the motives and the hearts of others. Father, I pray 
God, that the grace of the fear of God would be ours. That we could walk into this increasing glory and survive. And more than survive, that we can thrive. Because we've learned to honor you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.